It's great to be with you. It is wonderful to be able to rejoice and sing together and just to lift our voices and to praise the name of Jesus. Um, so um, great to see you here this morning. Great to see you guys at home as well. We haven't forgotten about you. We love you and uh, um, God bless you wherever you are um, today. So we're in the Psalms. We, ha- we are over the summer being spending some time through the, the, um, this wonderful book of praise, of worship of God. So if you turn to Psalm 22, and we're going to begin by reading just the first half of it, and then we'll come back to the second half a little later on. Begins, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, O God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls, fierce bulls of Basham that hem me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have led me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. O Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the horns of these wild oxen. I don't think any Christian could read Psalm 22 without being reminded of the crucifixion of Jesus and the words of Mark chapter 15 and verse 34, where it says at three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sabathani which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And Psalm 22 is more than just a cry for help. 
It displays humility in the face of suffering. It's also a, this prophetic statement, this prophetic word that, that is perfectly fulfilled by the Lord Jesus as he hung on the cross. But actually, these words were first, were first uttered by his ancestor, David. So we begin with his experience, an experience which, which maybe some of you may be even able to identify with. So in verses 1 to 5, we, we find that David is in absolute turmoil. He is in excruciating pain. He feels that his relationship with God is just non-existent to such an extent that he declares that God has abandoned him. The God who he worshipped and adored as a young man now just seems just a million miles away. The closest he'd felt to God under the stars as he watches his father's sheep was just a, a distant memory to him. The assurance and the unswerving confidence that allowed him to confront the giant Goliath and declare for all to hear, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, was gone. In this moment, he writes that he writes these words, he is no longer victorious. He feels defeated. Yet despite his doubts, despite his questions, his feelings of abandonment, he still acknowledges that even in suffering, one thing remains true. The Lord is holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Verse 3. So how does he come to such a conclusion in the midst of such despair? The reason, you see, God is no casual acquaintance to David because over the years God has proven to provide lifelong personal care for David so now even even in the middle of turmoil things are no different so in, in this moment of, of devastation of complete and utter disillusionment I think it's fair to say that David perhaps remembers those special moments on that hillside when he just knew the presence of his heavenly father, where he felt the warmth and the love of his unchanging God. And it's, it's so important that you also remember those times in your life when you've met with God in a, in a really special way. It may be that moment that you, you first became a Christian or, or when you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, or it may be just a special moment when you encountered God powerfully. It, it may be this morning. It may be you've just felt God's presence resting on you today. But it's good to put down markers in your life, to record those moments when God speaks to you, significant moments in your life that actually change your future. We, we, we don't do this superstitiously, but it's good to do it. It's important because they are reminders that God is at work in your life. It means that when doubts come, when troubles come, when, when sorrow comes, and listen, it will come, these markers are there to remind you that your life is resting in God's hand. So in the, middle, in the middle of just immense pain, you can remind yourself of God's faithfulness and love. We've heard testimony to that this morning already, have we not? 
And because God is a promise-keeping God, you can view the future differently because of the markers that God has put within your life. For David, this feeling of being abandoned by God was compounded by the taunts of his enemies. Perhaps, perhaps some of you know what that's like. David is mocked. He is sneered at. He, he has become the brunt of every joke. He, and and he seemed, he, there seems to be no end to it. But what is truly remarkable is that a king would be happy to talk to others about his weaknesses, his doubts, his despair. But, but actually, David goes, David goes one step further. He, he, he sets it to music. He even asks other people to sing it. And this is so like, well, most of the other rulers in ancient times, it's like, it's like the majority of rulers today. David is happy to talk about his weaknesses because he trusts in a God who loves him and has promised to care for him. And, and listen, we, we too can learn a lot from that. It's our pride that often drives us to pretend to others that we are better than we really are. We put on this brave face knowing that the opposite is, is absolutely true. It's only when you're confident in the forgiving love of God towards you that you can truly be honest with yourself and with others about how and who you really are. And such honesty, such confession is truly liberating. And as a result, it, it can help us. It can help us to lift our gaze to the Holy One. So listen, listen to how David reasons with himself and, and actually finds hope even in the middle of such devastation. In the middle of his agony, David remembers the protection of God, verses 9 and 10. Right from that moment of his birth, he attributes the care that he receives from his mother to the care and to the provision of God. And from this place of pain and isolation, he declares that the Lord has been my God from the moment I was born. And this causes him to cry out to God in a, in a desperate, raw prayer in verse 11. He says, do not stay far from me, for trouble is near. And no one else, no one else can help. In verse 12 to 21, David then pours out his heart before God in the most descriptive and, and graphic way. And David gives this poetic description of a violent death, which, which raises the question, is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Surrounded by a mob, his body and soul disintegrates as he descends into the grave. Dogs surround him and pierce him, gloating over his weaknesses. His humanity is denied and his death becomes an opportunity for the personal gain of others. And David's conclusion in verses 20 and 21 is that his only hope is in the God who will save him. 
But to fully understand these verses, we we need to turn to the New Testament and to read a parallel passage in Mark chapter 15, verse 24 to 37. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him, a sign announcing the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on the right and one on his left. The people passed by shouting abuse, shaking their heads, mocking. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saves others, they scoffed, but he cannot save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And at its simplest, Jesus quoting of Psalm 22 from the cross tells us that he is the king that the psalm is ultimately talking about the this the extraordinary details of mockery the piercing of crucifixion the the gambling for his clothes the many other things all spell out in graphic detail all all spelt out in graphic detail in in David's song and and there's no doubt that these the details in this song written over a thousand years before they happened are all about Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, was mocked. His hands and feet were pierced. Men divided and cast lots for his clothing. He was forsaken by his Father for the first and the only time in eternity. And while the darkness of Jesus' death and this cry of, a, of, of, of desolation tells us that, this, that God's chosen king was bearing the judgment that we deserved for our sin, yet this most intense suffering was sent in love. It was not because the Father despised or abhorred him, although it's true that justice demanded that Jesus Christ would bear the punishment as a, as a substitute for our sin. God always loved him. And in love, he allowed sin to be loaded on Jesus with the purpose of his ultimate glory and for the accomplishment of our salvation. 
But this was, not a, this was not a day where death was victorious, but a day when new life came gushing into this world as the way to God was opened to everyone who believes. It was a day when the Son of God experienced death and despair so that we can know everlasting life and joy. He went through all of that for you. He experienced all of that so that you would never have to. The truth is that each and every one of us will face death one day, but Jesus has gone before us. He went ahead of you and he took your place and in facing death, he conquered it so that you can find hope and find life when you follow him. You have a savior who knows what it's like to be rejected, to be scorned, to be alone, to be in pain, to, to face death. Previously, I mentioned about putting markers down in your life. But the greatest marker, the greatest truth that there is, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you live under the truth of the gospel, when you've been saved through faith in Jesus, it will affect you. In fact, it will help you the next time that you are going through a painful, challenging experience. The cross of Jesus is just the most significant moment for, for every Christian because at the cross, at the cross, you find salvation. I know many of you have already experienced that for yourselves, but if you haven't, turn to Jesus. He is your hope. He is your salvation. And Psalm 22 is a song of, of two halves. In the first half, we have seen that it, it seems like the, well, just the end of life. And for Jesus, of course, it was on the cross. He, when he took this psalm upon his lips, it was the end of a life. But wonderfully, there was more to say. And the second part of the psalm, see, the tone completely changes. Let's pick it back up again in verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will bless you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he is not ignorant or belittled. He has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. The, the royal, the royal, for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. 
they will hear about everything he has done. And the great proclamation in the second part of this psalm is that there is life beyond death. Whether because of a change of circumstance or just a strengthening of, of David's heart, David moves from despair to a place of hope. And David begins to praise God, and he declares it to everyone who will listen to him, verse 22, because somehow he has been rescued from certain death. In fact, how could he have reacted in, in any other way? But significantly, David's salvation moves him to call God's people to join him in the praise of God. And he describes a future hope that will affect all generations. But while David was rescued before death, Jesus wasn't. He was put to death, experiencing the agony of complete cosmic forsakenness. But again, that was not the end. He was rescued, as Peter describes in Acts chapter 2, 24. God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. So when the father turns his face from Jesus, the hiding was but temporary and it was soon removed. The father restored his presence to his son. And, and, and this should be tremendous hope for and comfort to each and to every one of us. But particularly if you feel that God has abandoned you or that you feel just, just far away from him. The witness of Jesus just as true today as it was back, was back when it, this happened. If God in his almighty wisdom and in his foreknowledge for reasons unknown to us withholds his presence from us if he seems far away from you we can be confident that it will not last forever the door of mercy is open his grace is unlimited and his restoration is certain for the believer who has been saved by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in Romans 6, we are reminded that the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. It compels us to obey, to praise, to fear, to honor the name of Jesus. The shape of Psalm 22 is both painfully personal for David and also prophetically pointing to the suffering, to the death and to the resurrection of Jesus, so much so that, that David's experiences are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But what about us? What about us this morning? See, there are two things that we can look forward to as a Christian, but not necessarily in the order they are found in Psalm 22. In Acts 14, verse 21 and 22, we read that Paul and Barnabas encouraged the believers to continue in, first of all, faith, reminding them that we must, secondly, suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 
And throughout Scripture, we see these two things running side by side, hand in hand, faith and suffering. You see, the experiences of David are actually not that much different to our own experiences. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever told that the Christian life is going to be easy or even problem-free. Actually, very often, it's, it's very much the opposite case. And even though it's a privilege to follow Jesus, and there are many blessings in this life there, there will be times of hardship and even maybe times of persecution. But in and through all of this, God is gathering worshipers from the ends of the earth. And at the end of this psalm, there's there's just this wonderful eternal promise that just echoes the theme of all of Scripture. It is the description of the boundless, unlimited kingdom of God. The blessings of God through Jesus Christ are extended to all generations, even those not yet born. But it's a blessing that comes through faith. And it's the preaching of the cross of Christ. It is the gospel message that brings life to everyone who believes throughout all of history. And Psalm 22 began with a painful cry of abandonment, but it ends with a promise from God. That's actually not that far removed from the final cry of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Jesus did it all. And because of him, you have hope this morning. Yes, even in those difficult times, even in those times when you feel abandoned, when you feel as if you cannot go any further, that just pain seems too great, even in those moments, he is with you. He's with you now. And he's with you forevermore. Jesus is your hope, your joy, your everything this morning. Do you know him? Have you found him? Have you put your hope and your trust in him? Listen, you can do that right now. Whether you're here this morning, whether you're listening online, it's just a simple prayer of faith. Let's just bow our heads. We're going to pray just together. Why not pray after me? This may be for the very first time for some of you. You want to just commit your life to Jesus, put your trust in Him. Perhaps you're going through just a difficult moment, and you just want to reach out to the only one who can save you, the only one who can rescue you. So let's just pray. Father, we commit ourselves to You. And Lord, We confess our sins. Lord, forgive us for the sins that have offended you. Both those sins, Lord, that we have deliberately done, but even those sins that we are just not even aware of, Lord, we bring ourselves before you. We confess our sins to you now, and Lord, we repent of them. Lord, we say we're sorry. I am sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. And Lord, I acknowledge that you're the one that can save me. I acknowledge that you're the one who is Lord over all, the one who died for me on the cross. Because of your death, Lord, I want to receive life, eternal life from you. So, Lord, I invite you to come into my my life today. Come and change me. 
by your Spirit, come and forgive me, cleanse me, and set me free. We pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you've prayed that simple prayer, perhaps for the the first time, or just recommitted your life to God, why not come and speak to me? If you're online, drop us a little note through the emails. We'd love to connect with you and just to give you a little bit more information what it means to follow Jesus, to walk with Him. Um, we just love to, to spend time with you. So God bless you this week. It has been great to worship together for us in here. It's been great to sing together for the first time in a very long time. We give glory. We give honor to the precious name of Jesus.